Hi, this is Pastor Eric DeVitro of Bedford Road Baptist Church, and you're listening to a message that I delivered online on January 10th, 2021, the second in a series on the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. I want to turn to um, the the scriptures, and uh, we're going to uh, just have a word of prayer, and then I want to dive into, uh, we're just going to be in 2nd Thessalonians today. Um, as we're dealing with a passage that's in uh, an area that's in Second Thessalonians, it's not in First Thessalonians, um, and we're going to be uh, looking there. Uh, so let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started. Father, once again, as we look to your word, as we um, seek to know and to understand your will, um, and uh, to know Christ, um, Lord, we are always uh, surprised I, i'm always surprised to to find the another uh depth or or breadth or or uh, or width of of what your word has to say and there just seems to always be uh, more places to dig more places to go and lord we as we look at this church as we look at um, their desire to be identified uh, with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to find our identity more and more in him. And Lord, we do lift up to you um, the chaos of our uh, communities and nation and the relationships. And Lord, we do pray that you would uh, continue to make us peacemakers um, in our own brokenness to minister to the broken. Uh, we pray that uh, you would safeguard the hearts of those who lead us, uh, Lord, that um, those who know you as Savior uh, would be uh, salt and light in the world. We pray that in all things, we pray always for your glory, for you alone are worthy of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look at uh, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, and verse, we're going to, we're going to start in verse 5. So the, the, the church of in Thessalonica uh, clearly was going through difficult times. We'll, we'll find when we get to the latter half uh, of the, the epistles that Paul devotes a great deal of 1 Thessalonians to uh, the question of uh, what happens uh, to those who have died before us. Where do they go? What, what, is, what is the situation for uh, the church? And, and Paul, Paul deals with that, and we must conclude, therefore, that Paul, um, that the church in Thessalonica, there was persecution going on to the point that people were being killed. We don't know much more beyond that. We really don't. Um, and we do know that the, the Jews um, had driven Paul and, uh, and, and Timothy and Silas out uh, of both Thessalonica and Berea. Um, which is a, a town a couple days walk from there. And so there was definitely a presence, a definitely uh, an issue going on um, with uh, the Jews. We don't know whether that bled over into um, some civil unrest. We don't know whether there were, uh, there were actions taken against the church generally or just to individuals, but it, it was not a good place. It was not a good time um, and I'm going to put that in, in air quotes. It was not a good time to be a Christian in Thessalonica. And so I think there are some, some definite parallels uh, to uh, our world and how things are going. But 
I want to read, I'm going to read a, a pretty large section of Second Thessalonians 1 um, and, uh, and then not focus on kind of the, the, the fascinating part of it and instead ask the question, why is Paul writing this? Um, but Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, uh, he's, he's talking about persecution and affliction. And Paul says, this is this, the, the persecution, the afflictions that they're enduring, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just, just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of the Lord, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, the kind of interesting part of this passage is all that stuff about coming with flaming fire and mighty angels, and that's where people tend to dwell when they read this passage of Scripture. They they want to get into what does all of that mean, um, and and what does it tell us about the judgment of the wicked? Um, and that's a it's a great question, um, but it's also not really what we're going to deal with here. Um, I want to instead, I want to look at why Paul brings this up, uh, why, why Paul gets into this rather elaborate explanation about punishment and judgment. Uh, what's his motivation for this? Um, and I think we find this in uh, beginning in verse 5. Paul says, this is evidence of the righteousness, righteous judgment of God. So the persecution, the afflictions of the church was evidence, and and the English translation, you know, of evidence that that probably is a it's a little weird for us to read that because we read evidence, we think like in a law case, you know, the the prosecutors are presenting evidence and they're making an argument, right? They're they're presenting a case, they're building a case for why um, someone committed a crime or didn't commit a crime, and that's how we view the word evidence. Um, but the way that Paul is using it is a little bit differently. Uh, this is this is a word, um, and it's tied to the word that's used in uh, the Gospels when it describes G uh, Joseph, Jesus's um, adopted father. Joseph finding out that Mary uh, was pregnant, and uh, he chooses he doesn't want to bring shame to her, so he wants to try to divorce her in private. And the word shame there that's translated in as shame in our Bibles is the idea is the same uh, root word as this uh, term evidence. It's the idea of something coming to light, something being made visible. So it's a it's a reality. Right. It's a reality we may not be able to see. 
Um, it is something that um, is true, but we don't know that it's true yet. Um, and, and when Paul is talking about this, he is basically saying uh, that the persecution and the suffering that they're enduring, this is going to reveal the righteous judgment of God. And that, that should catch our, our, our attention, I think, because we tend to think of suffering and afflictions and trouble as God judging us. Um, we, we have a tendency to say, okay, what did I do wrong that God is putting me through this situation? Or what do I need to accomplish? What do I need to do in order to get this burden that I'm bearing off of me uh, to get this situation uh, resolved? And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, now this isn't a universal rule, so it's not always this, but he's saying to them in that particular situation, you're suffering and you're being persecuted to reveal the reality of God's righteous judgment, to, to demonstrate um, the glory of God, not just in your suffering, but in the revelation of the wicked. Now, that's an interesting idea because um, we tend to think of, of, uh, of persecution, we tend to think of it in the negative sense of it is hard on us. But persecution also reveals who in the world is opposed to Christ, who in the world is, is standing against the cause of Jesus Christ. If we're being persecuted, we're not being persecuted. If we're, we're following Christ and we're following the scriptures, we are not being persecuted by people who are also following Christ and also submitted to the scriptures. And that's important. It's an important thing that we understand, not that it makes us better than other people, but that it, it shows us where the lines are. Um, because for the most part, right, I mean, 99% of the time we can go through our lives and, and our lives look pretty much the same as everybody else's lives. Our, our houses look pretty much the same. Our pets um, do pretty much the same stuff. We eat the same foods. We go to the same stores. We, we look pretty much just like everybody else. But when persecution comes, all right, there's a, a clearer division. And judgment is about discernment. Judgment is God discerning, separating the righteous for the, from the unrighteous, the wicked from, from the good. He, and that judgment requires pressure, requires uh, affliction. Um, when, when Paul says to this, he says that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. I don't want you to think that what he's saying is that when you're persecuted, that's how you earn worth um, of the kingdom of God. It's not saying, well, through persecution, you get to be, a, you, you become a good enough Christian. Persecution is a sign that you're a good enough person. Uh, when the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was being driven across um, the, the continental United States, if you don't know the story, basically the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is their formal name. The Mormons were founded in upstate New York. And they just kept getting driven out of places. They were driven out of there. They were driven out of Illinois. They went to Missouri. They got driven out of that. Eventually, they wound up in Utah. And they would build their, their churches, their, their temples. And there's, a, there's a, a line from, I think it was Brigham Young, who talks about how uh, the fact that they are persecuted um, proves that they are right. Um, 
I'm not sure persecution proves we're right as much as it proves something about those who are persecuting, because there are lots of groups that are persecuted that aren't in line with Christ. Um, so sinners will beat on sinners. Uh, but but persecution, what persecution does do is it tests us. It makes us understand what the worth, what the weight, what the gravity, what the um, what the reality of following Christ is. Um, without persecution, without a test, without trials in our lives, um, how do we know when whether our faith actually has weight, whether it's really grounded in the reality of who God is, or if it's just a, a an easy belief. It's just, it's something that we can accept because it's it's easy to accept. It's easy to, to do. It's the in thing to do. And um, this is, this is one of those questions that's really perplexed the church for, for centuries. Um, because when, when Christianity becomes dominant, and I, I use that term Christianity in the lower C, when it becomes a dominant cultural thing and everybody's a Christian, how do you know who's, a, who's actually a believer and who's just a nominal Christian? This was a, this was a question that was asked during the Protestant Reformation. It was asked in America um, when, when the Baptist leaders, guys like uh, Isaac Bacchus and um, uh, um, uh, um, Hezekiah Smith, uh, these guys who were preaching uh, they were preaching through the colonies, and they were actually preaching in churches, telling people you had to actually believe in Jesus. Uh, you had to actually believe that you were a sinner, and that that the only means of salvation was faith in Christ. They were actually getting run out of churches. Um, all these, a lot of these white churches all over New England, they were being run out of those churches for daring to suggest that you couldn't just be a Christian. That you couldn't just culturally have been baptized when you were a baby, and and doesn't matter what you do, as long as you pay your tithe, and you show up from church, and maybe you buy a pew. Um, and believe it or not, in the continental world, there were actually people in the Puritans, what is today the the, the you know a lot of the Congregationalists and Presbyterian churches today were originally colonial state churches. There were people that would buy a pew. And then pay other people to sit in their pew um, to prove that they had attended church. I mean, that that kind of stuff was going on. And these these preachers, these revivalists came in and they said, no, you have to actually believe you're a sinner. You have to come to faith in Christ. And you're baptized in profession of that faith, that it's a reality to you. It's not just something cultural. And uh, and, and people kind of were taken aback by that. Well, how, how can that be? You know, because Christianity was so culturally accepted, there was no requirement for you to be a Christian. You just were. There was no expectation. So you could be a pagan Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday, as long as you showed up at church, as long as you paid your tithe, um, you were okay. And when preachers started to say, no, the Bible says there's a price for this, they started to be persecuted. Um, they were they were fined. They were exiled. There's there's all, all kinds of stuff that happened, especially in New England, to these guys who dared to say that that was that that in order to be a Christian, you had to actually believe in Christ. How dare they say that? Um, and uh, and there was a persecution that revealed the the righteous judgment of God. It revealed those who were following Christ and those who were not. Now, Paul gets into this. Uh, whole thing. He talks about 
you know, God considers it just to repay the affliction of those who afflict you and to grant relief to those of you who are afflicted. And, and it doesn't seem like that's actually happening right now. Uh, they probably, the Thessalonians had written a letter that basically said, these people are punishing us, they're, they're hurting us, they're, they're taking things from us, and nothing's happening. And Paul says, don't worry, God's justice is God's justice. He will be glorified. And he, said, he promises in verse 9, they will suffer punishment um, away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. Verse 10, to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So he gets this big elaborate thing. But I don't think the point of this passage is in all the fire and vengeance. I don't think that's what Paul wants. I don't think Paul wants the Thessalonians who are suffering to walk away from his letter saying, oh, it's okay. Eventually they'll get theirs, right? That's not what he's trying to say. He's not trying to say, it's okay for you to be a Christian because eventually one day all these people are going to get sent to hell. And aren't you a great person because you won't be. That's not what he's saying at all. Um, in verse uh, 11, he says this. To this end, we always pray for you. And he gives them two things. He says that you may be that God, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. And again, like I said with worthy, it's that you know the reality, the weight of what it means to be called as a follower of Christ. That you understand what it means to take up your cross and follow him. That you understand you're not taking his name in vain. It's not an empty taking of his name, but rather this is a, this is, we understand the, the magnitude of what it means to be a Christian. That you understand that you, that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work, good and every work of faith. By his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in other words, this is all for God's glory. That's he, Paul always makes that statement. He always says the things are about God's glory. But look at what he says. He says that you may, that God may make you worthy and may fulfill, in other words, fill up, complete. Every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Um, in other words, uh, what he is saying when he's talking about this, this resolve for good, um, it, is, it is this idea of, um, uh, um, uh, it's, it's an idea of a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the Greek word is, is uh, eftokia. It is... It is an intentional commitment, right, um, to fulfill the commitment for the good. In other words, when we are persecuted, it places upon us the requirement of will we stand or will we not? Will we follow through? Will we fulfill the resolution for the good? Will we continue in what we say we believe and what we say we will do? when we are put under pressure, or will we crack and become exactly the thing that we're uh, complaining about, the persecutor that we're complaining about, and every, good, every work of faith by his power. 
that you may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. The intention, the commitment, and the action. Persecution is a test. Affliction is a test to see whether what we say we believe and what we say we will do is really what we believe and what we will do. It pushes us, it, uh, persecution pushes us, not only does it show justice and judgment of who is wicked, who will persecute and who will not, but it also tests who we really are. It tests our resolve. It tests our commitment. It tests our devotion to Christ. It is hard as a follower of Christ to continue when to honor him when it seems like everybody else is going a different way. Everybody else is going a different direction. And maybe they are um, accomplishing things. And you sit there and say, man, I wish I could accomplish those things. I wish, I, I mean, if I had that avenue, if I had that uh, capacity, if I had whatever it is, that, that those people who don't deserve it, in my mind, they don't deserve it. They don't understand what it means. They get this, this platform, this power, this authority, whatever it is. They get this thing, and, and here we are trying to honor Christ, and we don't get anything. Now, that's not fair. You know, that, that's not right. We, 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 we should be, you know, we should be able to have the same things that he has. We should be able to, uh, to live the same way that he lives. We, we should be able to get the same things that he gets. So what, why maybe what we need to do is, is maybe I just need to, if I just give in a little bit, I, I, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be able to still be good. You know, I'll still be mostly good, but, but I'll just use this thing and, and it'll help me get a little bit further. Um, and it's all for Jesus. You know, it's all, it's all right. The question we always have to ask when persecution comes um, is not, when will the persecution end? But will we stay true? Will we stay true to the word of God, to the gospel of Christ? It's hard to endure a world that seems to progressively and, and even rapidly be deteriorating further and further away, um, breaking down. Um, it, it's hard to live in a world where, and, and I, you know, I don't want to cause waves, but in a world where Christianity has, has had so much of a privileged position for so long, it's hard to live in a world where uh, we no longer have that position. We no longer have that privilege. Uh, when, I was, when I was being in Bible college, and, and this was only, you know, uh, 20 some years ago, 20, 20 some years ago, and some of you uh, did this a lot, lot before me, you used to be able to walk up to somebody and say, the Bible says, and fill in the blank, and people like, oh, it does? And they had this kind of inherent understanding that the Bible must have authority. That's gone. Uh, that's disappeared in our world. Um, you, you don't have that standard. I mean, I remember I had a friend come to church a few years ago, um, just, just visiting with his daughter, and I was preaching from the book of Jonah. And I thought, everybody knows the story of Jonah. I mean, Jonah and the whale, right? And he asked me, he says, now Jonah, he, wasn't he one of the 12 apostles or something? He had no idea about the story of Jonah and the whale. Who doesn't know the story of Jonah and the whale? 
that that world is gone. We live in a post-Christian world, a world where Christianity has no privilege anymore. And it's hard for us to live in that world. It's hard for us to stay true to the gospel of Christ when there is so much competition to the gospel. And Paul reminds us that God is a God of justice. He discerns right and wrong, whether we discern it or not. He discerns just and unjust, whether we see it or not. And eventually, he will be glorified. He will be praised. He will be marveled at among all who believe. And in Philippians, he says that every knee will bow to Christ. There will come a time where the entire world, the entire universe must be submitted to his authority, but it's not right now. I would submit to you that the default condition of the church of Christ is to be persecuted by the wicked. Now, we're far removed from that in America today, but I would submit to you that that is the default position of the church. The world, and by the world, I don't just mean everybody out there, but I mean the forces of the world that are devoted to uh, to um, the, the selfish desires, the, the grabbing of authority, the, the fight for power, the anti-Christ, anti-God uh, world, or, or just the totally God-neutral world, they will align against us. And the less privileged the church is, the more the church and believers are required to be real in their faith, to be sincere, to be all the way through, to believe what we believe, not just on the surface, but all the way through. And persecution tests that. We don't wish for persecution. We don't sit there and go, all right, God, let's make sure we persecute. We don't walk around smacking people with, with, uh, with study Bibles, hoping that they rise up against us so we can say, oh, I'm being persecuted. But persecution is going to come. And when it does, it will test who we really are. It will test what we really believe. And I've talked about this before, but so often in our history, um, in the modern world, uh, in the last couple hundred years, every time the world has pushed against the church, the church has just stepped back. So the world pushed against the church on the authority of scripture, and we kind of backed away. The church pushed against, the world pushed against the church on, ah, you know, the gospel doesn't have to be as, you know, it doesn't have to be a stumbling block. It doesn't have to be difficult. Why don't we make it a little bit easier? And the world has stepped back. And we've progressively seen this happen over and over and over again. Well, we'll give you privilege. We, you as the church, we, we'll help you out with this if you would just back away uh, from this one particular thing. It is difficult to stand where you stand, even when everybody else is pushing against you. And, and persecution really is going to test our resolve. It's going to test our presence. Um, and if we don't find our identity, not in some external identification, not in some, um, uh, 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 you know, political affiliation or national identity or racial identity, if we find our, our, our true identity in those things instead of Christ, then we are just going to get pushed and pushed and pushed back. And on the flip side of that, just to leave, kind of lay this 
out. Um, we have to be careful too that we don't become what we don't like about the other side. Because uh, the temptation is, well, we're right because we're Christians. So let's gain authority and power to force everybody else to be Christians like us. That doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work. It backfires. It, that's not what the, what the church is called to be. In the end, when we face persecution, can we come to the conclusion that Paul comes to in this verse? In verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God. Do we see the grace of Christ even in persecution and affliction? Do we see the grace of God even in our suffering, even in our loss? Do we see the grace of God? Do we see Jesus glorified? Do we desire to have Jesus glorified in us, no matter our circumstances? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, as we um, continue to look at your word, continue to see the church uh, under pressure, the church uh, suffering, the church in affliction. Lord, as we look at these Thessalonians and know that there was just so much going on in their world, um, and maybe we can see some affinities to our own, but um, Lord, help us to stay true to you, to continue to um, to dive into your word, to continue to find our, our anchor, our, our beginning and our end in Jesus Christ. Um, him crucified and raised and glorified and seated on the right hand of the Father, coming again uh, to rule and to reign and to judge. Lord, help us no matter what our circumstances, whether they are positive and good and great and privileged or persecuted and broken and shredded, whether our hearts are lifted up or our hearts are broken, Lord, help us to turn our eyes and our minds always to you to be your people, to bring glory to your name. We pray this um, in your precious and holy name, by your Holy Spirit. Amen.